0: Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross.
1: And I'm your co-host, Beth Bradley.
0: Let's get into it.
1: Welcome back to The Brand Collective podcast. Today we have Lauren McCarthy. She is Senior Vice President Marketing for Cineverse. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Lauren, and we are so excited to have you today.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: I'm excited to be here and to see my old
2: buddy, Nick Ross. Yeah, it's wonderful to reconnect (laughs)
0: in this way. To start off, I'd love to hear about Cineverse. It's such an interesting company with a lot of different sort of offerings. Do you mind cluing in our our listeners to, to what Cineverse does?
2: So our mission, and that's really the most important thing, is to uplift storytellers and entertain fans with the power of technology. So even right there, there's some layers, right? If you kind of dissect that mission a little bit more carefully, you you get to the different revenue models, right? So we support storytellers. Creators and artists today really need to be a 360 brand. And we offer a lot of capabilities that help them to do that. And namely, we connect them very directly with their fan base. In turn, we really support the fan communities by super serving them with content and places to connect online that they may not have elsewhere. And we do all this with our technology products, which are also a B2B offering. So you're right. I know. Cool. We (laughs) use technology in-house and it was developed so that we could support artists and ourselves as content owners to get all of this content out to fans, this huge library that we have. But we then started sharing that technology with other content owners. So there's a whole other side of our business that's, that's B2B SaaS.
0: Wow. I mean it's it's very <laughs> it's very robust. So it's it's both properties like story property like uh titles and channels and the technology behind it.
2: Yes, exactly. So yeah, we have a content portfolio that we license out. So that's one B2B model, right? We have channels a network of channels that are both sort of um run in-house and run with partners so most notably bob ross the bob ross channel that people thought about that's always on at
0: this little mexican place that i go to in my neighborhood it's always
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's us man um (laughs) through american public television we love the bob ross folks Uh um And like Bloody Disgusting, the the most trafficked horror destination on the Internet, they have a streaming service. That's our brand. We also have a streaming service with them called Streambox. So um, we have all of that. And then also, you know, we we have partners that we just supply the technology so they can kind of go off and running and get their stories out to more people, because that's really what this is about.
0: It's just awesome. I want to hear more about you and your background and how that background in things like theater and music and production sort of found your way to be a senior vice president in this in this role
2: it's a it's a long and, and winding path so you know get comfy In <laughs> <laughs> <Maybe, laughs> you know long go past life i was living in i grew up in chicago and um i was part of the very cool theater scene and comedy scene there which included second city most notably i'm a, I'm a graduate and i owe so much of everything i do to second City's training and philosophy so shout out always to them The theater scene there is very much about building something together. You're rarely just sort of like cast in a play. No, it's really about like making something cool and um, telling a story and getting to the core of it and and finding your audience. And so when I moved to L.A. and I realized like, oh, acting is terrible here. (laughs) I was friends (laughs) with a music supervisor who's really rad, Mary Ramos, um, did a lot of Quentin Tarantino movies. And I was licensing music and that became and I love, love, love music. Um, It became very... Legal. And it gave me a good background in agreements, which is nice. But I thought I should either be a lawyer or do what I really love, which is building and telling stories. So I got a job as a development assistant to a studio head, which was a lot, and then moved up through the ranks until I was um, a VP of production at an indie studio called Broad Green. And that was an amazing experience. I made movies everywhere from $350,000 to $26 million, super big scope of projects. And then the company went under and I was pregnant. So, yeah, this is wow. where our hero, their dark night of the soul. Critical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, critical. Um, yeah, critical. Um, mm-hmm. And I started doing marketing writing for some really big tech brands for commercial treatments. And I was getting a very good response, but never felt like I was building. Like I wasn't mm-hmm. strategy. I was very reactive. Um, and so I got my master's during the pandemic um, from Northwestern, an amazing program that was leadership through the communication school and entrepreneurship through the engineering school. So I got a really solid um, product background. And that's where I realized that product marketing is so, so, so similar to film production. Um, the way that engineers work and the cadence and the agile is very similar to being on set. So the skills transferred very easily. And I had some amazing mentors that were early Microsoft hires, early eBay hires, um, and went out after that and started fractionally leading marketing for different B2B SaaS companies and um, Cineverse approached me to consult um, and so I was sort of either going to go full full time into B2B SaaS that was one of the options on the table or or stick with Cineverse and I just couldn't say no to the people that work there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such an amazing team and the mission like you noted is so cool and ambitious and so I'm back in entertainment, man.
0: <laughs> it's really wonderful. And I, I, when we reconnected, you mentioned that uh, that doing a rebrand was one of your first big undertakings when you when you joined in this role at Cineverse. Do you mind talking to us about that process and and what you learned coming out of that?
1: Because
2: I had the product marketing background as opposed to a brand marketing background, I approached it like product marketing. Um, so April Dunford is sort of the guru of product marketing, and I follow her methodology generally, um, like most product marketers do. It's not it's not um, notable, but I really needed to talk to customers. So I used sort of the UX skills that I had learned and really dug into their customer types. And the first thing that someone says when you're like, I need to talk to your customers is, <laughs> you know, no one wants that, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really rough. And they're like, we just met you. Why, why are you talking about customers? But the process was remarkable. And when I started pulling these quotes and extracting the implicit needs of the people they are trying to serve, it all just became clear. And this whole idea of technology and innovation and how that serves fans and storytelling, um, it really, it, it bubbled up to the surface so naturally um, that the process was surprisingly smooth. And the collaboration was, just shockingly easy and we got to a really cool tagline which is it's on um so I loved that process I think I also think they love that process because they brought me on full-time after it (laughs) but I enjoy approaching brand like product and finding um the customers and their stories first right cool Uh,
1: yeah that answer Uh, yeah that's (laughs) that's
0: great tremendous yeah
1: so Just kind of thinking about that. So you, with the company that has so many sub-brands and business models, just kind of wondering, like, how do you connect all of those dots, bring them together, like understanding each channel and title and entire ecosystem? How do you approach that? Yeah, so everything has to ladder up to storytelling Mm -hmm. and
2: innovation, everything. So whenever we're working on a smaller subsect, the first thing I think of is, okay, how is this telling the story of powering the future of entertainment? Like how is this serving fans or how is it uplifting storytellers? It's really easy to get there when you just have the North star. Yeah. Um, And then you have to approach every fan base separately. And it's very much, it's telling the story of each one of those Mm -hmm. fans and using the language they use. So writing in the voice of the anime fan, writing in the voice of the horror fan. writing in the voice of a content provider that needs technology or an OEM that needs a streaming service for their, for their interface on their television. Right. Um, And those are all different voices. And sometimes the drier ones are harder Mm -hmm. to find and sometimes the the juicier ones are harder (laughs) to find. But if you really think of it as character, (laughs) right, character writing, I think that kind of grounds you in the process. Oh,
1: I love that. Yeah. I I hadn't really even thought of it that way before, but you're right. Like to kind of build that relationship and that credibility, like, yeah, to really think about it, like, how are they? Yeah. How do they sound like what would sound? Yeah. Authentic to them. I love that.
0: We're going to take a little break and do a little rapid fire minute just to, Mm -hmm. to cleanse our palate for, as we go deeper into this story. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So the first question is going to be favorite brand right now and why?
2: I'm very into Kickstarter these days. Yeah. Um, They brought on a new CEO uh, who was a CMO, which is really interesting, right, that approach. And he's done a lot of talking about what it's like to be a CMO as CEO. Um, And I think that gets you a little closer to process, which is an interesting position for the chief executive to be, right? Um, More in the weeds than general. Um, And also just a little bit more attuned to strategy and how it, the connection to brand. that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I love that. Uh, I have, uh, long memories of Kickstarter, but I, it it does feel like something that in my mind could use something, some sort of refreshing quality. Are they, Mm -hmm. does it express itself in the, in the brand identity online and and how it's interacting with the Kickstarter community? Kickstarter is such a community, I feel like too.
2: Big time. You should, I look at their site again the colors are all different. Oh, nice. are different yeah it's very fun the logo's a little bit like I noticed the changes kind of happening slowly the team that's been brought on look at the about a, you know the team page it's it's all there um even, even the look of their headshots you know it's everything <laughs> is kind of impressed and I you know I look I'm a nerd so I like look for those details mm-hmm. like oh what are their headshots look like and it's yeah it's cool
1: Okay, next one here. Uh, what do you think is the most useful marketing metric? This is a
2: tricky one.
1: <laughs> there's, it's, it's yeah. Hard. Oh, I yeah, I get it. <laughs> it's hotly
2: debated. But look, yes. here's the thing, and maybe this is like this is the hard skills graduate school mm-hmm. part of me talking, but revenue, like MRLI, marketing return mm-hmm. investment. I think honestly, for a head of marketing, is the most important because you you need to continually prove your value. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to say marketing is frivolous or this is not because of marketing. And so being able to look at the data, track your spend and track the efficacy of your spend is so, so, so key. Um, And that's what backs up the maybe more ethereal creative skills Mm -hmm. of marketing with the hard skills that help you communicate with the C team or with the board. Um, And so like even we did a big CES activation and I'm insisting that everyone who is there um, kind of tracks their meetings and tracks mm. their progress. Um, mm-hmm. we gave them a nice form with drop downs, but nice to be able to <laughs> say this is what we're making. And, you know,
1: yeah. <laughs> this is what we're making out of that and this is what we spent and this nice.
2: is valuable, right?
1: Yeah, that's true. And that that makes it feel more empowering too. Like even yeah, to show other people, but also for yourself. You're like, yes, like I did this thing and it worked or it didn't. And yeah, that I, I totally agree. And I mean, not to like soapbox, but
2: as a woman too, it's it's rarely expected that we're able to model. Yeah. Able to track revenue. And it's important to demonstrate like, yeah, I can do this. Yep, it. back it up. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. I love this. Uh, a <laughs> campaign that you've loved recently.
2: I mean, one that I'm referencing a lot right now is the way that Barbarian was released, the movie Barbarian. Oh, cool. Um, the marketing for that was, extremely authentic to the community, the horror community. And so that's something that I'm looking at a lot right now. We have an upcoming release with Terrifier 3, which is the hotly anticipated follow-up to Terrifier 2. <laughs> 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 On the edge of my seat, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I've been looking at the way that they handled Barbarian, they handled sort of the the premise and the twist and the cameo. Yeah, It's oh, not cool. a cameo, he's, quite, he's in it a lot, but um, mm-hmm. Justin Long's unexpected presence. Um, And it just felt very true to horror fans. Um, So that's that's a campaign that I've referenced quite a lot recently because it was very well handled and very smart. I also have to say the Mean Girls campaign right now, everything they've done with Mean Girls has been ridiculously clever. Mm -hmm. You know, the Regina watch out buses, Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) you know,
2: there's the, the YouTube, the TikTok live, like all of those things have been really, 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 really clever. Um, and and really what that is, is research, knowing the product mm-hmm. extremely well, and knowing the fans really well. So you know that they talk to people, you know that they scour the internet for the best moments, and they highlighted those with their campaigns. And so I, I have to shout out to the Paramount team. Now. Yeah. <laughs> nice. yeah, that's yeah,
0: awesome. Yeah, and
1: it does. It, it connects back to what you're saying too, again, about just like deeply knowing that customer and what will land yeah. with them. Okay. Last, last rapid fire here. Best marketing swag that you've ever received. I mean, I, we gave out sunglasses at CES
2: and I love them um, nice. because I saw people wearing them because mm-hmm. sunglasses are something that you just like always need. So our, our strategy was just like, what are things that people need?
1: Yeah. <laughs> or that they, yeah, they, they forgot or they lost. Or, yeah. yeah. In Las so, Vegas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right
2: in Vegas, so it's like mm-hmm. sunglasses. When you mm-hmm. walk into the convention center at CES, Nokia had um, tote bags, and I was like, "Noted." Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: that's a good one, right?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Cool. Okay. Well, yeah. Excellent rapid fire. <laughs> yeah,
0: that was fantastic. <laughs> so kind
1: of yeah, yeah. Um, rapid fire so- tough, man. You guys are you guys are making oh me- yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's
0: what, we just side. wanted to get you a little bit excited so that the rest of yeah. it just has a little bit more blood going through it.
1: Yeah, okay. back into our our formal questioning. Um, despite having such a big job, you have a pretty lean team. Can you tell us about everybody's role and then how you went about uh, assembling and building that team? It's very WIP. Still, the whole universe team is
2: moving and evolving. And so, first, I think about what are skills that I. That are the closest tied to revenue. So that was social media needed to be covered immediately. And that was growth. So we have this magnificent growth consultant who's way overqualified and so fabulous and you know, agile and does everything, you know, does the job of SEO, SEM content, and then socials, we have a really wonderful social media manager that handles basically everything. And then from the things that we absolutely need because they're tied to revenue. There's okay. What do we need operationally? So we have mm-hmm. a brand account manager who does so much work um, and really keeps everything running. And then it was all right. What are the what are the buckets? What are the areas? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's there's got to be a creative team. Like I don't have that skill set. I don't design anything. This is super important. So there's mm-hmm. there's a great creative team, genius. And then I needed to separate the marketers out. So there's the channels mm-hmm. the marketer. Um, there's releases, which is more like the titles and the and the theatrical releases, and then there's product and brand is is one bucket. Okay. Generally, not one bucket, but for the time being, it'll be one bucket, and mm-hmm. then we'll see how things expand. But I just knew that I needed those covered, and I sort of knew the right fits for each one of those.
1: Nice, yeah. So you mentioned that one of the first things you did when you started at Cineverse was build a team charter. So what does uh, what does that entail? Yeah, so we we were pulling teams together that had been reporting to different people, which is
2: tricky um, understandably for the people on the teams, that's jarring. So I wanted a level set and a team charter is a great tool. It's built collaboratively on purpose. Um, so everyone has to weigh in, everyone has to make edits. Um, and what you define are the team values, the team norms and the team KPIs. Nice. Um, so that you're always moving in the same direction in the same way. Um, and really key on um, the values, there's quite a few values, but really key on that list is got your back, which mm. is a classic Second City and improv <laughs> trope where um, <laughs> you go on stage, you everyone's back and say, got your back. Um, you know, you always come off the back wall to support when someone is struggling. Uh, I really looked at the team that way. I, people use sports analogies with teams a lot. I really do much uh, uh, like prefer the um imprint of team yeah. analogy, right? <laughs> Um, so that's that's the value that's most important. And then the norm that I find the most important is yes and. Again, anyone who's read Bossy Pants yep. knows that mm-hmm. is a Del Close crafted mm-hmm. um, rule of improvisation. So when people are having crazy ideas, instead of just immediately shutting them down, which is our immediate instinct, right? That's what people do. Um, you stop, you try your best to pause for a moment, consider and build or find the kernel that could be mm-hmm. built out of that. Um, and sometimes that takes sleeping on it. Like you, <laughs> you shut it down and the next day you're like, you know what I did? Yes, I am that. Let's mm-hmm. revisit. Um, but that's something we try to work towards.
1: Yeah, I love that. Just a way to like make sure those ideas grow or evolve or, or happen. Yeah, that's excellent.
0: Yeah, as someone who's also gone through a formal improv background, it's really lovely to hear how it's uh, made its way into this business capacity. <laughs> uh, and I think it's, it's, it can be a really revolutionary idea, right? To just accept someone's idea and say, yes, let's push this forward. Let's let's see where this can get us if we build it constructively. Uh, do you have any examples of moments where you, you push forward with a yes, maybe when it didn't seem, uh, where it seemed maybe crazy or maybe, uh, you know, like outside of the box or unorthodox?
2: <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I do have an example. Um, so... We were pitching a really cool partnership opportunity with an extremely important collaborator. I can't say who it is, but <laughs>
0: yeah. I love our our business sensitivities. We yeah. were doing something <laughs> with a. We,
2: we were doing something with someone who, like, <laughs> announced in the coming weeks that you will be very excited about it. Hey. Um, but I we were pulling together this pitch deck of how the business with them could work. Um, and, you know, pitch decks are kind of the love language of the marketer. It's like our most, our most hated and most used yeah. weapon. Um, and I was getting, I was working on the creative because I really wanted to present some ideas, like some, you know, we presented some names and I, we didn't need to be final, but we needed something. And we have a really brilliant brand designer on our team named Mercedes. Um,
0: Great designer name.
2: It's the best. She's the best. <laughs> um, and she brought forth, you know, I had I was wanted to echo this feeling of a traffic light um which will make sense when this announcement comes out. Um and I so I was saying like an icon like a, you know, a logo that's a traffic light. And she was basically just like and I had leaned more towards maybe like blues and greens and she basically just said no. <laughs> like this is what I think that should look like because that's been done, and I've done this research and I have this idea. And one, she brought forth this really rich red, green, gold palette, um, and I immediately said because this is the the known thing is oh red brings about psychological reactance. You want to avoid red as much as you can on a website, um, and kind of shut it down and. She pushed back quite a lot, which I appreciate that in the team. But I was still like, oh, I got to You know, I got to think about this. And someone else on the team said, she knocked this out of the park. Look at it again. Do this and this and this research, which I can't tell you what it is until after <laughs> this happened. And I did, I did that. And I soaked in the creative of this partner a little bit, I'll say. And was like, this is it. Like, what was I even thinking? So I yes ended it. Built the entire presentation around it. it was just like, all right, we're going. We are going in on this this color scheme. Psychological reactants, be damned. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and when we presented it to this potential collaborator, their response was, "Wow, it's like you know me. Whoever built this really knows me." And and demanded to know the name of the person who. Did it, and I of course credited Mercedes, and and their response was she is a genius, which she is. So had I not had I not followed those instincts, I don't know how it would have
0: gone. That's that's all about being a good teammate. Yeah. There's a couple things I want to talk about. Uh, One was that you got a a formal master's education during the pandemic, Um, and I want to talk about how how Hmm. that uh, has influenced some of your leadership and some of your decision-making? Because I think it's such a cool move to be like, oh, I'm gonna pivot right now at this later stage in my career and life and get a formal education. Uh, and so, yeah, do you mind talking to us about, about that that move and and if that choice has, has uh, in reflection like been a positive choice for you?
2: Top line, yes, it has been an extremely positive choice. It was life-changing and what I learned completely shifted the way that I approach everything I do in business. In, during the program, I remember being very sort of um, intense about wanting the hard skills. So I really sought after business models and finance and the leadership stuff that had felt sort of fluffy and silly um, and the negotiation that seemed a little bit like no one does this. Those are the things that now are becoming important. So in retrospect leadership is kind of a hard skill like knowing the data and knowing the approach the methodology mm. and why you should do the things you do and approach the way you do is really important um and so that has suddenly come into focus as maybe the the more key elements of the education in some weird weird way that's cool yeah um on top of the mentorship i think mm. you do a program like that to meet people and to be kind of around experts and that that really has propelled me. There's been some some mentors that have been outrageously um, supportive, so like to a fault. So, um, you know, I'm very still connected with the program and I'm, I'm a, um, I advisor and mentor for classes for them still.
0: I love that. Cool. Uh, and then the other thing I was curious about is uh, when you were mentioning uh, marketing ROI, you talked about the roles that were very important and one of them being social media manager How does that express in Cineverse, uh, being that you have so many different sort of business verticals or or, or ways that the business is executed? Um, Does the social media, do you have different channels or different identities within different social platforms that bolster different properties? Like, I'm curious how your social works.
2: Yeah, we have quite a few social media channels because each one of our channels has all of the social channels, right? So we,
0: we got channels on channels. <laughs> we
2: channels, on channels. Um, so we use Sprout Social to um, manage and collect all the analytics, which is a Chicago based company, which makes me happy being from Chicago. Um, but that's been really helpful for the scheduling. Um, our social media manager runs all of the channels socials and all and is in charge of all any kind of cross promoting that goes on. So making sure that things are posted from different channels on other channels so that we can reach the right audiences. All of the brand socials are run by Max, who does brand and product for me. So that's a different bucket of socials, but he also uses Sprout. So everything is on one calendar, which is really helpful. Um, And then, are some there's some channel managers or specific kind of brand managers like our bloody disgusting team they do their own social posting with support from us.
1: One thing I'm just curious too, like kind of going back to like the leadership part. I I'm just curious like what is your advice to to other marketing leaders like or someone who's stepping up into that position. Listen and knowing the value mm-hmm.
2: you're bringing, and being able to quantify it—that would be the two. Quantify mm-hmm. what you're bringing to the table. Don't just don't just focus on the creative. Make sure you bring the numbers. Listen to your team. Yeah, I think listening
1: is very underrated. <laughs> it
0: just goes right back to that improv education. Knowing how to how to present your value in in numbers, I would say, is so difficult to most people, especially if they come from a creative or artistic background. That usually yields your designers and your you know like. Copywriters, a lot of a lot of them come from these more. Oh yeah, we you know we went to Dead Poet Society. And we were like we we were all about <laughs> the, craft, the dream yeah. and the craft. And now we have to be like, wait yeah. a minute, what is our ROI? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have any advice yeah. for people that that because it feels like you came up in a very creative way, in a very you know uh, like a very cool improv theater, improv and sketch theater in Chicago, and now you're like this boss marketer so you've been able to merge those two worlds uh pretty effectively what advice do you have for for creatives coming into the business space or the marketing space that might be challenged by those more hard skills or those you know i mean i remember coming into the space being like oh yikes you know like i know how to tell a story <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh but i felt very lacking in the ability to really like prove my value or prove my worth um
2: you actually just answered The question, um, in your question, the advice is, and it was the biggest realization I had going back to school, was that everything is story. I was sort of like, whoa, Mm -hmm. man, (laughs) that's a trip. Um, (laughs) But it's, so the research you do when you're figuring out a TAM, you know, the total addressable market, you're telling a story about the world. Um, When you pull numbers for weeks about, subscribers or minutes viewed and you lay that over the campaigns you're running and you see a comparison that's telling a story with numbers Mm -hmm. so if you see everything from a storytelling perspective that stuff becomes a little bit easier because I think creatives use structure a lot we use confines in the way that we tell stories we you need to use confines you have to have a structure. you know, a form. The dark night, of, <laughs> <laughs> the dark night <laughs> of the soul. The dark night of the soul. So when you kind of look at it that way, I think we're creative snaps in like, oh, this is just a story. I'm writing a story. But the language you're writing that story is in numbers. Yep. That's
0: lovely. This is wonderful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it goes back and forth, too, because there are people who need to report on numbers all the time but haven't thought about the story piece of it, too. And they, it's like, if, if you don't have that, then numbers don't stick in anyone's brain. You need the story to flesh it out, like to have it have any meaning. So yes, totally agree.
0: So to, to end our episodes, we usually ask three questions to all of our guests that just sort of get to know you a little bit more. Uh, so the first one is if you had to give a PowerPoint presentation of any subject right now, what subject do you think you would feel the most confident in outside of the marketing world? (laughs)
2: Oh, it has to be totally non-marketing?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> like, I've been, I spend a lot of time yeah. talking about marketing um, <laughs> Okay, I think right now the other biggest thing I do with my time is take care of my son, who's five. Yes. Um, so <laughs> I'd probably give a PowerPoint presentation on bedtime. and <laughs> <love it. laughs> the, the different, like the different approaches one could take to convince truly the most difficult person to convince yeah. anything to do the thing that you love least it. want to do in the world.
1: Yeah. That's so. so funny. That just reminds me of an aside. I was listening to a radio story and this guy, his kid would not go to sleep. And the way he convinced him was by telling him the police were going to come. And so I, it's like, he was that desperate, you know, that he was basically like, they heard sirens and he was like, they're coming for you. That's so, a-
2: that is not the first time I've heard that yeah. story oh yeah <laughs> we have yep. not about that person but people do this a fair right. yeah you know we've whipped out Santa before um there was yep. one night it was a weekend so I could do this where I was just like okay I was like we're free ranging like I yeah. told my husband Jerry like he does what he wants like uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> the lights on I don't care <laughs> and, I, and I sat down on the couch and I started scrolling on my phone and my son sat on the stairs and stared at me oh like this and I was like what do you want Mickey? And he's like, oh, watch, let me to bed.
1: <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> All right. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. I that's, love it. <laughs> that's a good, put the ball on his court.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. Well, this is Excellent. awesome. I
0: would subscribe to that. I, uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> I have a one-year-old
0: and we'd just gone through the year of regressions and ascensions and regressions and ascensions and uh, I f- I still feel like I need a good 6 month stretch of 12 hour plus a night sleep to catch up <laughs> like I feel mm-hmm. like that's my life.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah, it's it, it's intense. I'm I'm with you. I, <laughs> I actually had a professor about um storytelling and persuasion. He used his kids a lot as like the different kind of like he was a psychologist, so the different kinds of mm-hmm. like psychological approaches you can take. Sometimes they work, but one was just like choice. Like you need to give mm. money, Yeah. Right. So like of being like it's bath time being like oh, it's time to get clean is it a bath or a shower you know like and see if that works so i don't know i don't yeah. think you can give a one-year-old a choice at this point there's yeah. one <laughs> to stay alive yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah
0: um yeah uh if you could go back and relive one memory what memory comes to mind
2: that's awesome because there's lots of things you want to relive right this is like Life flashing before your eyes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I would have to say my wedding day. Oh. Probably. Um it goes way too fast, I think. And and everyone says that, but it's hard to um know it till you know it. Um, and it just all that love and all the people surrounding you and getting to celebrate something that's so kind of magical. Um I wish that I could relive it and be like real chill. Mm. You know, like, yeah. no, like I know how this turns out. So now yeah. I just go on the ride. Be
1: present. Yeah. 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 And also I think
2: my son would be there, you know, like Aww. I think Mickey would have liked to watch it. So it's like, that would be, if I could relive it with him there um, with a babysitter, that would be.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Designated.
1: Yeah. Designated. Yeah. The wedding yeah, planner's
0: assistant mm-hmm. has a job. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Um. That's (laughs) lovely. I I felt Mm -hmm. that. I felt like it was so overwhelming to be in a group that was sort of all about us. And I and like I was conscious during it, being like, there is never going to be another time when these people are all together. Like this is the one time. Both sides, both friends, both you know. It's
2: the both side, yeah, the both sides thing. I mean, we did karaoke the night before and both our families saying we are family. And it was like, (laughs) we'll, I'll never get to, you know, to see like my family doing the line dance that his dad started. Uh, Like I'll never get to live that again. So yeah, yeah, that's, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's really poignant, but incredible. (laughs) Uh, And finally, uh, if you had the ability to order one meal, regardless of price, what meal do you think you would order
2: you're gonna think this is so lame but a portillo's beef (laughs) with with hot
1: pepper
0: (laughs) (laughs) that is not lame
1: yeah
2: (laughs) yeah i don't even i don't like to eat meat that much i know it's bad for the world and Mm -hmm. it's bad for our bodies but like that portillo like that particular sandwich Mm -hmm. with that chardonnay you know like Mm -hmm.
0: that's amazing Mm-hmm. i would eat that sandwich and dumb beef, and on yeah, beef. <laughs> but yeah. i love a nostalgic order i mean obviously some people mm-hmm. are gonna be like you know i want caviar and gold encrusted steak or i don't know whatever gold, but
1: gold steak
0: yeah, i've seen that on I instagram that. where people are like cutting into a steak that's wrapped in gold and i'm like this is obnoxious this is too much yeah. gold isn't it's food It's so
2: funny because like mm-hmm. the same people probably post about like being mad there's heavy metals in our dark chocolate <laughs> <laughs> and you're gonna wrap your steak go, okay.
0: yeah, yeah yeah lauren this has been just tremendous i really appreciate you taking the time this has been a fun one
2: thanks for having me and you know like i said nick it's just good to see you
0: you're listening to a brand folder podcast where we like to say strong brands live here Join us as we build The Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love.
1: We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.
0: Subscribe. And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been The Brand Collective.